Our scripture reading today comes from Acts 2, with it in your pew Bible, it's on page 909. Acts 2, starting at verse 1, says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Then going down to verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with Eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, are all are all who dwell in Jerusalem? Let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Then down to verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now down in verse 36. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words... He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, the next uh, scripture reading comes from Romans, and it's on page uh, 946 in your pew Bibles. And we're beginning uh, chapter 10, uh, 8 through 17. But what does it, and it means righteousness based on faith, say? The word is near, is in, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is because the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, 
and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I appreciate our worship team. I was thinking about them standing and staying in place while the scripture was being read. Isn't it true that um, we often take the things that are most available to us for granted, right? We take our wives, we take our husbands, we take our parents, we take our children, we take the Lord, and we take his word for granted because it's so available to us. For some reason this morning... I was just taken to a place where much of the world is right now and um, was conscious that there may be a time, I'm pretty confident there will be a time when we don't have these luxuries. Amen? There may be and even will be a time when we don't have access to the Word of God. and we have Everything that's so available to us right now, our water, our food, our air, the Word of God, everything that's so available to us right now is such a gift of God. Isn't that a right? It's, it's, it's um, a precious gift. And, and so I, I appreciate so much when you open your hearts to something that seems so common to us right now, but God is asking you to hide it in your heart, to, to um, bring His Word into your heart and let it nest there, to breathe in His Spirit and let His Spirit take control of your life because there may very well come a time when you'll have to rely on those things and those things alone. Those days, those days came before and those days may very well come again. Well, I know they will. The Word of God says that those days will come again. You know what uh, struck me as, as you guys were reading the Scripture today um, was... Um, it wasn't intentional, but the same process that we've been describing to you uh, as to how to handle the Word of God was lived out right in front of you. God spoke, right? God spoke powerfully. He moved, but but we didn't understand what it was. And some of you were hearing that scripture for the first time, and it didn't you didn't completely understand it. And I've been following Jesus for forty plus years, and I'm still learning to understand it. So, did you hear what the people said when God spoke, when God moved? They said, what does this mean? Right? And we've been challenging you, when you hear the Word of God, what does it say, right? What happened? But then to ask that second question, 
what, what does it mean? And, and when Peter unpacked for them what it meant, then they were left with the third question. And it's remarkable how this follows the, the discipleship pattern we've been inviting you to. The third question that they then asked was, was what should we do? Right? How do we put it into practice? And my great prayer as we open God's Word today is just that, that you will not only hear what it says, but you will seek understanding of what it means and that you will that you will um, ask that same question, God, what do you want me to do as a result of this? Well, we've been talking for weeks just about this amazing commission, this invitation of Jesus to become Jesus. And we heard so many examples here today of, of ways that people are doing that. And everybody, it looks different in every life. But the, the, the big question that remains after understanding the commission, this is what we're to do to make disciples who make disciples in wherever we go and whatever we do. Um, the big question that remains is where does the power come to do that? And I don't know about you, but I have trouble sometimes scraping myself out of my recliner. And when I think about a task like the Great Commission, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. I'm, I'm thinking that's for the Billy Grahams. That's for the, for the, the Mother Teresas. God, where does the power come for me to do that? Right? And, and today on Pentecost Sunday, I get the Lord answers that for us. There's power available for us. Right here, right now, to fulfill all that God asks for us. And, and, and the revelation of that power is in the story of Pentecost. So let me take just a minute and say a word about Pentecost, if I could. Because um, a lot of us, when we hear the word Pentecost, we think the word Pentecostal. And, and that may be a beautiful word to you. It is to me. Um, but but um, for a lot of people, it's a scary word. They don't understand. They, don't, they feel like... God's going to ask me to do something crazy. I'm going to have to get up and dance in the aisles or handle snakes or something like that. Um, and, and it's a scary word to us. But let's just kind of go back and look at what it actually is, apart from all the uh, uh, false impressions that we've received of it. Pentecost is a biblical word, right? It's a biblical word. It actually describes, it describes something that was in place long before uh, 2,000 years ago on Pentecost Sunday, it was uh, already in existence. The literal word Pentecost means 50th. It means 50th. You can hear Penta in that, five, right? 50th. And it's found in several places in the New Testament, but also, if you go back and read the Old Testament, you'll discover that there was a Jewish, there was a Jewish feast already called in Greek Pentecost, but in, in Hebrew, it had a different name. I'm going to translate that name because I can hardly say the word in Hebrew. Um, but they, the Jews already had this, this feast called the Feast of the First Fruits. And ultimately, they called it the Feast of Weeks. And it, the reason they called it the Feast of Weeks was because it came one week of weeks. In other words, seven times seven uh, 49 and actually the 50th day after Passover, which we celebrated together not too long ago, 50 days ago, actually. Um, 50 days after Passover, the Lord required all the men, all Jewish men, uh, wherever they were in the world, to come to Jerusalem. Now, obviously, not everyone could for a myriad reasons, but... But they were, they were called back 
to Jerusalem. Now, just, now, I want you to wrap your brain around this for a second. So God put in place 2,000, well, actually 1,400 years before what we know of as Pentecost. He, he created a, a holiday or a holy day where all the peoples of the world would be called back to Jerusalem, right? I just want to see the hand of God in that. Because we wonder sometimes, God, how are you going to reach this world for Christ? You don't have to think about that. God has already thought about it. He's already created a plan. You don't have to figure out how everything works. God has already figured it out. You just have to respond to what he asks you to do, right? So in five places in the Old Testament, this Feast of the First Fruits, um, the, the people of Israel were called together. So Jerusalem, which might normally have 30 or 40,000 people, could swell to over a million people with all these pilgrims coming from all over the world to celebrate this holy time together and and three times a year at the feast of passover at the feast of um, first fruits and at the feast of tabernacles the people of god were called together a couple of other thoughts about about pentecost for you as well pentecost was a pilgrim festival which means that that people had to trust god to provide for their needs they made that pilgrimage to a place that couldn't possibly accommodate all of them, but they had to trust that as they obeyed God and obeyed his law, that God would provide for them. And it was, uh, in the truest sense of the word, um, both a holy day and a holiday. Now, I'm saying that differently because you can hear the words, can't you? Holy day, holiday. Holiday is just a fast way of saying holy day. Except, as we talked about earlier that sometimes we lose the meaning of the holy day in the midst of the holiday. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I, I think, ooh, wow, I have a day off from work or something today, right? And forget that there was a reason for that. I don't want to do that next week on Memorial Day. I want to remember why, uh, why we have this special day, a day now made holy by the lives of those who have gone before us, right? But it was a holiday at that time, and so you have to imagine that that um, the people kind of lost the holiness in the holiday part, right? And so there's a lot of people in Jerusalem celebrating, feasting for seven days, and and not expecting anything holy to actually happen, right? And boom, boom! After 1,400 years of waiting, God shows up on on Pentecost. Now, there were several um, amazing things that were built in to the law to, um, to symbolize what was actually happening that day. And we don't have time today to go into it. Some of you might have done that in your Sunday school classes earlier today. But one, let me just remind you of one of them. He said, we want you to take two loaves of bread and make them one, right? Yeah, we, want to, we want to take Gentiles and Jews and make them one on this day. We want to break down the distinctions that people make about themselves and make people one. Let's remove every possible obstacle to unity. And, and, and it's just fascinating to see in the Old Testament law how God prepared the way symbolically for what would happen 1,400 years later. But in summary, Pentecost was a 
was a time of great and grand celebrations. And the streets of Jerusalem were just crawling with pilgrims from every tribe and tongue and language from throughout um, the earth, the known world at that time. But I want to note also that Pentecost was the fulfillment now of Pentecost. I know that sounds like the Department of Redundancy Department, but but. Pentecost, as we know it, the coming of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of Pentecost that the Jews knew at that time. So when it says in Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, that's kind of, that's kind of, a, of a bad uh, translation. Uh, um, it's a little bit inaccurate in that Luke is telling us something crucial in the very words that he uses in this text. He uses a word plerao in Greek, which means to completely fulfill. So, so the ESV translated it arrived, right? And you missed the whole point of that word. Pentecost, as we know it, the coming of the Holy Spirit was the complete fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks. Of, of the Pentecost that the people of Israel had known for 1,400 years. So Luke is, is telling us that, that don't miss what's happening here. God is fulfilling His promises. And some of you, that might be the only word that you need to hear today, that God fulfills His promises. And you have claimed a promise in His Word. It might be that, that you are alone or widowed and and and. You read in Isaiah 54 that God will be your husband and, and you don't feel that. And, 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 and you might need to hear this word today that God fulfills His promises. You might be a, a person who feels the weight of providing for your family and you can't see how that's going to happen. And you've cried out to God and you've read in His word, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And, and, and you're, you're grappling, trying to understand how, what does that look like in my life? Maybe this is the word that you need to hear. God always fulfills His promises. He always fulfills His promise. And God had promised that He was going to create a new community, a new, uh, a new uh, group of people who had amazing distinctions, who each were individuals, individually gifted, uh, individually blessed, but all those individual distinctions um, and all that diversity uh, grew together to form one beautiful unity that is the body of Christ, a church formed of every tribe and every tongue over the face of the earth. God is creating a new thing. And, and Pentecost became the birthday of that new thing. The called out ones, the people of God. And, and so it begs the question, what what does that look like? What are the marks of a spirit-filled church, of spirit-filled ecclesia? Let me just hit some highlights from, from our passage today and invite you to go deeper in your own personal study. A truly spirit-filled church is a united church. When the day of Pentecost came, um, they were together in one place. Wasn't that fun for some of you in your Bible studies this morning? I don't know where you pictured uh, the people of God being that day, but there was 120 of them. And you've got to imagine that there's not too many places um, where 120 people could gather together. 
And so as you were reading through Acts, you, you jumped and you realized, where were they? They were probably in the temple. They were in, now not a house, they were in the big house. They were, where would they be? They would be on Pentecost in that place where they understood God to be, right? And God was in that Holy of Holies. The place where God dwelled was in the Holy of Holies in the temple of, of God. And so, and so what remarkable thing happened as you studied this morning was, was that God moved from the temple that is made of stones into the temple of human hearts. And for the first time in creation, God dwelled in people. No wonder there was a rushing wind. Uh, the Spirit was moving from one locale, and now, instead of going to one other locale, now it was being distributed among all those who had trusted in Jesus Christ. The Spirit now dwelled in human hearts. And you think, well, wow, I missed it by 2,000 years. No, every time you come to that place where you say, I believe your word, not just the written word, not just the spoken word, God, but the living word, Jesus Christ. When you put your weight down on who Jesus is, the Bible says that that same miracle of Pentecost happens again. And you are filled with the Spirit of God to help you understand the Word of God, to remind you of what the Word of God said, both in the, in the convictions, as hard as those are, but also in the comfort. And, and the blessing of those words. So a truly spirit-filled church is a church that's united now not around a nationality or a skin color or the fact that they're wearing red. It's a church that's united around the Spirit of God being in them. That's why it says they were all together in the King James in one accord. He wasn't talking about a Honda. He was talking about they were of one heart and mind and soul. Physical unity, spiritual unity, emotional unity, doctrinal unity, truth. All those things become the mark of a spirit-filled congregation. And I know it's an only an English thing. The, the, in the original languages, chord, accord had nothing to do with accord. But I can't resist the temptation, Kristen, to... Think about it. I was just so enjoying you guys leading us in worship and the harmony of your voices. Um, that's that's a, such a picture of the people of God. We each are unique, bringing something unique to the song, but it's such a beautiful expression when we all offer it together. Your worship together is this beautiful offering. And, and that unity is a powerful, powerful thing. Any church, any church that is going to grow, I'm talking about both an individual congregation like ours or, or certainly um, the church universal, if it's going to grow, it's going to grow out of deep biblical unity. Deep biblical unity. Don't lose the fact of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives us one common denominator, one truth, one reality to express in all our myriad forms. Truly Spirit-filled church is a, is a unified church. But a truly Spirit-filled church is also a praying church. We didn't have a chance to explore that. We had so many scriptures here this morning, but in Acts 1, we're told that they were praying together. What did they do? Daily, they were going to the place where God was, the temple, and then they were going and breaking bread in their homes and praying together. Praying together. Why would that be so important? 
Well, it's an odd thing, but just like Jesus called out Peter and then called out his arch enemy, Matthew, right? Um, Jesus puts together people who are not alike. Jesus calls to love each other people who are not alike. And the odd thing is, it's hard to pray for somebody you don't like, right? Or it's hard to, let me say it differently, it's hard to not like somebody you're praying for, right? When you really are led by the Holy Spirit to call out for someone's best, all of a sudden the walls break down, the differences break down. Prayer and love just seem to go together. Maybe prayer is the greatest expression of love. So what is the glue that holds this diverse body of people together? Prayer. Prayer, according to Acts. So I want to invite you to not just become a more praying person, but to pray with other people. There's power when we pray together, whether it's a triad together or a small group or us as an entire church praying together. When we lift up the name of Jesus in prayer, when we cry out to God in prayer, how did one author put it? The very muscles of, of omnipotence are are innervated. God moves. God responds. I'm going to say another redundant thing to you, but, but it's important enough, I think, to, to say it out loud as truly spirit-filled church is a spirit-filled church. Right? All of them were together, unified. They were praying and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a place where, where oftentimes people get knocked off kilter because, because of the unusual things that happened right there. Um, they began to speak in, in tongues of all those people. God in His sovereignty brought people from all over the world who spoke languages they didn't understand. And with one voice, they spoke and everybody understood the Word of God in their own language. I mean, and, and visual effects like the tongues of fire alighting on them were, were happening. Audio effects like, like the sound of a freight train, of a rushing wind was going on. But don't lose, don't lose sight of the reality in the effects that were going on. Right? The reality was that the Spirit was moving and taking up residence in their heart. A lot, of, a lot of us stumble over issues. Now, those tongues that they were speaking were known tongues, but there are gifts of the Spirit that scare us, honestly. For some of you, it might be the one we're challenging you today to speak the Word of God. You say, are you nuts? And you are not alone. Virtually every major figure in the Bible who God called to speak said, are you, God, call somebody else. Call somebody else. Don't lose fact of the presence of the Holy Spirit. In, in the way that Holy Spirit came. Here's the bottom line. Really normal people like you and me went from being cowards to commissioners. We say that differently. They went from being cowards to missionaries, right? Go, how in the world did that happen? Because the Spirit came and gave them the power to do what God was asking them to do. It was the coming of God's Holy Spirit that transformed them. And that same Spirit is moving among us today. That same Spirit is wanting to transform you into not maybe necessarily who you envision being. Remember how when you wanted to be an astronaut or something when you were a child? Maybe not who you think that you want to be, but in transforming you into the very person that God desires 
you to be. All happens by being filled with the Spirit. Well, what, what happens then? A truly Spirit-filled church is also a gospel-preaching church. When, when the Holy Spirit fills you, what He invites you to do certainly is to serve. And you're so good at that congregation. You're so good at serving other people. Certainly it is to love, and you're so good at that. At loving other people. But, but when the Spirit fills us, at some point you've got to speak. At some point you've got to be able to say, the reason that I love you is because of Jesus in me. The reason I'm serving you is because that's what Jesus would do. I'm just doing what my Master would be doing. Right? A truly Spirit-filled church is going to say the reason for your hope. A truly Spirit-filled church is going to risk opening their mouths. And the reason that we read this Scripture, I know it went by really fast, and it's deep theology in Romans chapter 10, but the Scripture that, that Carol read for us says this is how it works. People speak, and as they are speaking, the Holy Spirit moves in the people who are hearing, right? But how can the Holy Spirit move? And, and it's a rhetorical question the Apostle Paul asks, and he's and he's begging the question for us, how can the Spirit move in someone if no one will risk speaking to them, right? And by the way, he took that, that chain all the way back. How can, how can people speak? Don't be lost in the word preaching. He's just talking about speaking forth, speaking forth the Word of God. How can people speak if, if, if no one uh, sets them apart for that, right? If no one sends them. And so, hear here what's coming, congregation. You might be the only Jesus that someone encounters. Are you willing to give the reason for your hope? Are you willing to speak the love and word of God to people? If you don't go, how will they hear? And if they don't hear, how, Paul asks us, will the Holy Spirit transform them? A truly Spirit-filled Church is a gospel preaching, the word prophesy in the Joel passage, a gospel speaking church. So when he fills your life, has he filled your life, some of you? He also opens your mouth, right? He also opens your mouth. When the Holy Spirit fills your life, he also opens your your mouth. Unfortunately, for many of us, we've gotten it exactly backwards. We open our mouths instead of letting Him fill our life first, right? The Spirit-filled church is also a harvesting church. God has prepared the harvest. Have you heard that theme over and over again? Remember, we've said it a couple times recently. The fields are white for harvest. The time for God to reap a harvest of souls is right now, right? It's harvest time. And, and the question is not whether there's harvest ready to be picked, but whether people will go out. And we've been praying, God, send out workers into the field, right? Send out people who will risk everything, shame, humiliation, incarceration, even death, to, to speak words of life to other people. So that even maybe by our death, that other people might come to life. The Spirit-filled church is a place where 
God brings the harvest. I know we skipped a, a long passage in there, and mostly it's because I can't pronounce all those words. And um, it named about 15 countries where people had come from. And all of them were drawn to that place. Do you see how this works? I love you guys that are called to college ministry because God brings to the college people from guess where? We have a little university of 3,000 people down the street here and there's like 600 of them from other countries at UE. Imagine what it is over at USI with 10,000 students, right? Imagine what it is at the Ohio State University, right? With 55,000. You don't have to go far to find people who, who are desperate to hear truth and who, if that truth transforms them, will take that back to the place that they went. That's exactly what happened. Our model for missions is, is right here in this passage in Pentecost. They heard... They were transformed. 3,000 were added on that day. 3,000 people not only believed the word that, that, that they were hearing, but also were transformed by it and filled with the Spirit. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like the invisible first missionary movement. Those 3,000 people went back to their homelands. That's why Paul could go somewhere and find a church already there because people who had been there at Pentecost had taken the gospel back where they, where they were, were from. Oh, God's, God's plan is a good plan, you guys. And, and His power is a beautiful power if we will only trust it and believe it. So let me just add a couple of thoughts here in closing. There is a harvest yet to come. It's not like, oh, we missed it by 2,000 years, right? No, this same harvest is happening right now. We are in... The age of harvest right now. Revelation 7 puts it this way. And after this, I looked and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. They cried out in one univocal voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb and to Jesus Christ. God gives us a vision of what's to come. But He's also given us the way that that's going to happen. And it's going to happen through us. The day of Pentecost was only the beginning of a great worldwide harvest of men and women for God's kingdom. Right? For God's kingdom. And you get to participate in it. You're like one of those original disciples. You get to be a part of it. I guess that brings me to the very last part. Pentecost is not really about a Jewish holiday from 3,400 years ago. It's not really about um, an event that happened 2,000 years ago. Pentecost is about you and me. It's about you and me. And some of us, some of us are hearing and, and the Holy Spirit is, is moving for the first time in our hearts. We've heard Jesus speak to us and saying, this is worthy of your trust. This is worthy of your putting your weight down on. And, and we've heard the Word of God say, if we will confess with our mouth and be- Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we too shall be saved. We too shall be transformed. 
we too will be included in God's kingdom. And if that's you this morning, I beg you, don't go from this place without owning it, without saying, yes, Jesus, I will respond to you. I I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. But for many of the rest of us, we have trusted in Jesus Christ. We have been filled with the Spirit. But the problem is that we leak. Um, We have trusted the Holy Spirit, but all of a sudden we've kind of slipped back to that place like we're not living Spirit-filled lives again. Let me just... Let me just invite you, every day is a brand new day with Jesus. You can say to him, as Paul did in Ephesians, Paul challenged us in Ephesians, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. Let me add my voice. Come on up, worship team. Let me add my voice to all those voices who are saying God is is real. God is sovereign. Let me add my voice to those who are saying, I have made Jesus Christ my Lord and I want to be filled with His Spirit. Let me add my voice to those who say God reigns. As we close today in worship, I just want to invite you to reaffirm today. I want to invite you, if God would allow, reaffirm. Speak first in your heart to the Lord and then if He would grant Cry out in one voice with us. God, you are sovereign. God, you reign. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that your word is true and your spirit is here right now. It's no longer dwelling in a temple made of stones. It's dwelling right here in human hearts. Fill us today with your spirit. Right here, right now. That, God, we might go from this place and and speak words of life to family and friends and co-workers who desperately need to hear it. God, may the testimony of our lives be simply this. You are Lord. You are sovereign. And you reign.